Well, I just want to say hi to all you at Madison Church. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and it is awesome to join you today. You know, one of the things I love to do with my kids is go on vacation, and not too long ago, I went on vacations with my kids to the Great Smoky Mountains. Now, before we went, I told my son, Micah, Micah, we're going to stay in a cabin. And in that cabin are these things called hot tubs. And he's like, whoa, dad, I can't wait to be in a hot tub. And he was so excited. He thought that hot tubs only existed in the Smoky Mountains. I didn't want to burst his bubble that there's actually hot tubs everywhere. I just had never bought him one. But he was so excited to be in a hot tub. But then a couple days before that, before we left, I said to him, Micah, but there's not only hot tubs in the Smoky Mountains. There are bears. He's like, Dad, no way. I can't wait to see bears. I can't wait to get in the hot tub. It's going to be amazing. This is going to be the best vacation ever. And so we went. As we drove closer to the Smoky Mountains, every few minutes, Mike would say, Dad, there's a bear. And we'd all look and there was no bear. And then we'd drive by a river. And he said, Dad, look, there's a family of bears down by the river looking for fish. And one of them has a fish in its mouth. And sure enough, we'd look and there'd be no bears, no fish. We drive by some trees and he said, Dad, I see a bear in a tree. And sure enough, no bears in the trees. Micah was what we call a liar. And so we learned to not pay attention to what Micah was saying. But then one day after we got back from hiking, we went into the hot tub, as we always did. And I was there with uh, three of my kids. And Micah said, Dad, there's a bear. And we all said, OK, Micah, whatever. And he said, no, Dad, there's a bear. And I looked over and about five feet from my nose, was a huge mama bear. And so I did what any good dad would do in that moment. I said, kids, get in close for the picture. And they said, dad, we're gonna die. This is dangerous. We have to run now. I'd have a picture to show you, but my kids were wimps and they ran inside. But here's my point and I actually do have one. Today we're talking about this issue of money. And when it comes to money, a lot of us are like, me with that bear. We think it's a good thing to be around. We can play with it. But if we're not careful, it can be quite dangerous. And God's saying, be careful with this thing, because if you're not careful, it will devour you. It will be like that bear. So here's the thing about money. We get weird. We get testy. We don't want anybody talking to us about money, especially not at the church. And by the way, if you've been hurt by how the church has talked to you or guilt-tripped you into giving money, That's not us. That's not our heart. And so if after the end of this message you think, oh, that was just a guilt trip and I don't want to give to Madison Church, fine, don't give. Give to another nonprofit. Give to something you care about. Give to another church. This isn't a message about you trying to twist you into guilt tripping you into giving us money. This is a message for what God wants for your life. Because here's the reality when it comes to money. Here's how a lot of us are. We just hang on to it so tight and we say, God, this is mine. I want to know how to, I want to deal with it on my own. And the only person we trust is ourself when it comes to money. But God wants a different posture. He's saying, would you just come to me like this? Because how has this worked out for you? I mean, honestly, even if you have money in, in the bank, has it given you peace? Maybe there's a better plan where you surrender to me, where you trust me. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what he has to say. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I love how Paul just doesn't beat around the bush with stuff. He just kind of gets right at the heart. 
all this. He says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And isn't that reality? So many of us could say, you know what, I've, I've pierced my marriage with so many griefs when it comes to money. I've pierced my emotional well-being when it comes to money. I've pierced my future because I've been in bondage because of money. I've pierced so many things and I have so many griefs when it comes to money. And he continues. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's really what God's saying today, is that I have the life that is truly life waiting for you. But you got to trust me. You got to trust me on this one because so often when it comes to your money, you're trying to trust yourself and you don't know what you're doing. So would you just give my way a try? Because here's the problem. When we don't trust God, when we just trust ourselves, we give ourselves into all sorts of issues. Uh, On one level, we give ourselves into the bondage of discontent. You know, when my daughter, Genny, was little, she learn the sign language for food and uh, for more. And a lot of you have probably taught that to your kids. It's, it's just like this, that when a kid who doesn't know how to speak yet needs more, they just go like this. They signal more. And so sure enough, she'd be eating her cereal and she'd signal like this and she'd want more. And so I'd give her a banana and then she'd signal this and she'd want more. And then, then after eating the banana, she'd ask for more, and then she'd eat that, and I'd give her a graham cracker, and she'd ask for more, and soon I realized she has no idea what she's doing. She's just asking for more and more and more, and at this rate, she's going to be 900 pounds by the age of three. But that's how we act in life. We just want more and more and more. We don't realize that we're getting bloated, and we're, we're not healthy. And so we have a nice car that's purely functional, Far more than what most people have in this world, but we see the nicer car and we say, I want more. Or we live in Wisconsin and we have a high-end shovel, but we see our neighbor with a snowblower and we want more. We have the snowblower, but we see our neighbor with an industrial-sized snowblower and we signal for more. Or we gone on a nice vacation, but we want a nicer vacation. We're seeing more and more and more and more and more. And Paul says that when you do that, You're just piercing yourself with grief. When you do that, it's not going to work out. See, here's the reality, Paul says, is that you already have enough. He says, in fact, let's talk to you as people who are rich in this world. You may not feel rich, but you actually are rich. Here's a fascinating statistic. If your family makes $37,000 a year or more, you are in the top 4% of all income earners in the world. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. If you own a car, you're really rich. If you own a house, you're incredibly rich. Most people in the world live on $2 a day or less. And so here's the reality. And if you take nothing else from this message, remember this, you are rich, I am rich. And so we need to understand that. And we have enough. We don't always have to be signaling for more and more and more. You know, it's interesting. 
a recent survey was asking people based on their salary levels how much they feel comfortable at making. And people who are making thirty-four thousand said they wanted to make seventy-four thousand a year. People making fifty thousand dollars or less said that you know what, I feel good if I was making one hundred thousand dollars a year. Virtually nobody responded saying that they had enough, that they were satisfied with what they had. It's no wonder that John D. Rockefeller, the richest person that we know in modern history, was asked, when do you know if you'll have enough? And he said, when I just have a little bit more, more and more and more. So you're in that bondage of discontent. But here's what happens when we're in that bondage of discontent. We get in what I call the cycle of discontent. And the cycle of discontent works like this. I see it. I want it. I need it. I buy it. I see that pair of shoes that I, that I like. Oh, and there's nothing wrong with seeing it. Oh, I kind of want, want it. It's nice. They, they look nice. But now, now I need it. After all, it's been a hard week. After all, it's been a hard month. After all, we've been in COVID and I deserve a little something. And so I'm going to buy it. But then there's a new pair of shoes. I see it. Oh, you know, I kind of want it. That's not bad, but oh man, I need it. It's been a hard, hard thing. I deserve this. I need to reward myself. And so I can buy it. Then you go to the next thing, the next gadget, the next thing that only you like and you You see it, you want it, you need it, you buy it, and around and around and around you go, and and it's never enough. And you're caught in the cycle of discontent, and when you're caught in there, you're always looking for it. But what is it? We always think we can buy it. You want to know what it is for me? It's sitting down with my 17-year-old and just talking about life. It is an emotional bond I have with my eight-year-old daughter who comes to me for help. It is the purpose I feel in the work I do. It is the relationship I have with my Heavenly Father. You can't buy that stuff. That stuff isn't for sale. That's stuff that is freely given to you. And God is saying, if you get into that cycle of discontent, if you're always wanting more and more and more, I'm just telling you what the Apostle Paul says here is true. You will pierce yourself with many griefs. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill your relationships. It's going to kill your just sense of peace in this world. So would you just get out of that? Would you get out of that? And so we get in the bondage of discontent. But there's another bondage that some of us get into, and it's the bondage of debt. It, it, actually, the bondage of discontent leads us to the bondage of debt. Stephen talked about this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to review many of the stats, although they're sobering. Knowing that the average American owes over $40,000, that 40% of Americans, now this is absolutely un- unfathomable, 40% of Americans, if asked right now to write you a $400 check, could not do it. They couldn't. They don't have any savings. And that's pre-COVID stats. I can't even imagine what they are like now. And so many of us, as as we're listening to it, we know we're there. We know we've been caught in this debt that's just, it's just killing us. Dave Ramsey, who is the founder and creator of Financial Peace University, which Madison Church offers, says that when we begin to think that debt is normal, 
we will realize that broke is normal. <laughs> I like that. When we begin to think that debt is normal, we'll actually realize that broke is normal. Now, it's important to understand what the Bible says about debt and what it does, doesn't say about debt. It never says that debt is a sin. In fact, it assumes it's part of society. Deuteronomy 15, the Israelites loan money to their fellow Israelites. It's just part of how things work. And every, nearly every financial Christian counselor I have said on this, I have talked to on this, tub, this topic says the same thing, that debt on appreciating assets such as a home is okay as long as it's within reasonable limits and not pushing you over to the edge financially. And it allows you to give and save as, you, as God asks you to. And so while the Bible does not forbid debt, you need to hear this and hear me clearly it strongly discourages it. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk this earth and the richest man to ever be on the face of the earth, says this in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You see, when we go down this road of consumer debt, whether it's massive loans or credit card debt or a big car payment or Macy's cards with 0% interest for the first six months, Salmon is saying is that you're purchasing and consuming your way into personal slavery. And how many of you feel like a slave to debt? It's just mounting and mounting and mounting and you can't get out. And the more you try to get out, the worse it becomes. So here's the reality. Those legal institutions, those lending institutions that you think are so great, they don't actually care about you. You may think they love you. They may send you a letter saying you're pre-approved and nobody's ever told you you're approved for anything. And yet they're waiting to just grab you and put you into debt. Ultimately, we think that going into debt will bring us the life we want, but it actually keeps us from the life we want. It keeps us from fully enjoying the things we take out loans to buy. Paul, it's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy things. Paul says he gives us wealth for our enjoyment, verse 17. But the problem comes when we go beyond what God has provided for us and go into areas of, of living that we just simply can't afford. And when we're there and we go on that vacation that we have to take the loan out for, can we really enjoy it? If we go know that, know that going home that we have to pay down $10,000 now, not only that, it keeps us from helping our family the way we should. In fact, Scripture is very clear on this, that we should provide for our family. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Proverbs 21, 20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. And I've talked to so many parents, so many grandparents who with deep, deep regret say, I wish so badly I had handled money better so that I could give to my kids and my grandkids right now, but I just can't. I can't even retire. And so is that your reality? See, it keeps us from helping our family the way we should. It keeps us from enjoying the things that we actually take out loans to buy, but most importantly, it keeps us from participating in God's work. It keeps us from participating in God's work. You know, when I talk to people about giving to God's work, giving to the local church or other ministries that where God is really pushing forward in this world, nobody actually ever says that they don't want to. Most people just say, that I can't. I mean, how can I when I'm swimming in this debt? And I get that. And when they live in that world. They live in guilt and shame. And that's why people are so defensive when it comes to this issue of money, especially in the church. So let me ask you, have you 
Have you fallen into the subtle trap of discontent? And has that trap of discontent gone to the complete, utter bondage of debt? Let's just get real here. Is that where you're at? It's where a lot of Americans are at. But here's the good news. You don't have to stay there. You just need a plan to get out. And instead of trusting your own plan, where you're trying to say, okay, God, I need to figure this out. Okay, let me, let me see if I can crunch the numbers one more time and do it a little differently this time. He's saying, would you just try my plan for a little bit? Just give it a shot. Just try it. And there's two types of plans I want to talk about briefly today. And the first is a rescue plan. Because some of you need a rescue plan. In other words, you're deep in debt. And you just need a plan to get out. You just need a plan to get out of that debt. You just need to get real honest about your finances. Go to a Christian financial counselor. Sign up for Financial Peace University. Just be honest with them. Talk to a friend, maybe somebody in your small group. Just say, you know what? I'm trapped in this and I don't know a way out. And seek financial advice. Talk to Stephen. He can point you in the right direction. Talk to the leaders here. They can point you in the right direction. Some of you just need to be rescued. You need that plan. Or others of us. Others of us, we're not deep in the debt, but we still need to just shift our thinking to God's plan for money. And there's a plan that's simple, but has changed my life and has changed the lives of millions of people throughout the history of this world. It's a plan that God devised when he wrote the scriptures. It's a very simple plan. I'm just going to lay it out for you. It's give, save, live. That when I have my money, that's never actually my money, I'm going to first give, and then I'm going to save, and then I'm going to live on the rest. I'm going to say, God, okay, you gave me this money, so I'm first going to give. That's what Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says about, about our money. He says, the first place I want you to start is to, to give. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Not what you have left over if it's been a good month. No, the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know, on our bills, it says the name of the series. It says, In God We Trust. So maybe the first thing we should do when it comes to money is trust God first. Say, okay, God, I'm going to give first. Now, I think the Bible gives a pretty clear example of how we can give. We can give 10% of our money, but some of you aren't there. You just need to take that first step. Uh, Stephen talked about this last week, just kind of that ladder of generosity. Take that next step. And for some of you, it's becoming a regular giver. For some of you, it's becoming a percentage giver where you're giving 5%, 6%. And some of you want to get to that level of what the Bible calls a tithe and be a tither. And some of you want to go beyond that and give even more. But God's saying, okay, whatever it is, just start there by giving. Give first. Give to first to God and then live on the rest. And I know that's counterintuitive, especially if you're struggling, but God's math is different than our math. He's saying, hey, I'll help you out you out here when it comes to money i'm going to provide for you but first you have to trust me and so will you begin will you put your money where your mouth is when it comes to trusting me and will you give first give first and just see what i'll do
fact, Malachi talks about this. It says, if you give to God first, he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessings on you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get rich, although that'd be awesome if it actually meant that. It just means that God's not going to leave you hanging. He's, he's not going to say, okay, you gave to me, haha, <laughs> conned you. No. He's going to provide for you. So first you give. Then you save. Proverbs says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harbors. God's simply saying, look at the ant. The ant gets it better than most of you. He stores because he always knows winter is coming. The fact is, winter always comes. You know, some of you know my story. You know that I resigned from a very well-paying position at a church because of an addiction I had, and I stepped down. And honestly, I didn't work intentionally for a year just to recover. And even now, I'm making far less money than I used to. But you know how I was able to do that? Because when I was in summer, when I was making good money, and even before that, even when I had less paying jobs, I did what Proverbs told me to do. I first gave, and then I saved. And in my winter, where I couldn't even work, is because I saved that I was able to live just fine, that God was providing for me. And that's just reality. Some of you before COVID, you were flying high financially, but you were living at that high level of, of income that you were giving. You were pushing that even to the margin. And now that you lost your job in COVID or your job has been downsized, you can't, you can't afford any of your payments. You can't afford all those things you owe money on. And it's because you didn't save. And God's just simply saying, this is not complicated. Watch the ant. Winter always comes. It always comes. And so will you just, you don't have to save a lot. Just 10%. Do something. Just save because winter in your life will come. And when it comes, you got to be ready. And this financial plan is always God's way of doing it. He said, okay, give, then save, and then live on the rest. But how do you live on the rest? Some of you are saying, I live on 100%. Now you're asking me to live on like 80%. Are you nuts? Have you seen what I owe, what I pay for each day. Have you seen how expensive my kids are? But here's where you have to do what the Apostle Paul asked us to do. Just declare that it's enough. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so I love what John Orberg says. He says, you just have to have a day where you say, it's enough day. It's enough. God, I have enough. Well, one way I do this, I just say the phrase out loud even, it could be worse. So I go to my car. It's not a brand new car. It has 75,000 miles on it. And I think to myself, the brand new fancy car I could have. But as I turn my ignition key, and maybe it takes a couple times for it to click in, I just say, it could be worse. Or maybe you have a house and it's a little tight for your family. It's three bedrooms. And you think, oh man, I'd really want that five-bedroom house. Wouldn't it be nicer in, in that neighborhood with those better schools? But instead of just longing after it, just go in and say, it could be worse. Maybe today being Valentine's Day, you look across the table from your wife and you 
you say you want to exchange her for a newer expensive wife no you just say it could be worse no don't say that i'm just messing with you don't say that here's my point and i actually do have one you have enough god's not giving up on you you don't have to need more you have enough god has given you life and breath He's given you relationships. He's given you food on your table. In Matthew 6, it says, Jesus says, I, I, I care for the birds of the field. They never go hungry. I care for the flowers of the field. They never wither without me being there for them. How much more will I take care of you? So why do you worry about these things? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things. All, all the basic necessities of your life, all the things you need to survive, I'm going to add those to you so you don't have to worry about that. You can trust me on that. I've got your back. And God, we trust. And so will you trust? Will you today take your hands off of this and say, God, first I'm going to give. And I'm going to save because that's your plan. That's how you're going to provide for me in my winter time. And I'm going to declare that I have enough in you. That even if I want more, I don't need more. Because the it, the it I long for God in life, it's you. It's always you. And you are more than enough.